Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by Tell Me Studios for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm Fraser McGrewer and I'm here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing the philosopher Derek Parfit and rational irrationality. So, Nick, can you lead us in, please? Yeah, so the reason we're talking about this uh, now is that Derek Parfit died a few weeks ago in, in January. Um, and uh, he just he wrote a lot of very interesting things, did a lot of interesting uh, work on um, some of the things which we're, we're interested in, in Aleph Insights, particularly about, um, you know, decision making and what, what, uh, what constitutes kind of good decision making. Um, and he he wrote uh, in particular as a, one of his most influential books was called Reasons and Persons, and it sort of goes through it's a long series of short chapters, each of which takes a specific sort of claim or runs with a particular thought experiment. Um, and some of them are really kind of bonkers these thoughts thought experiments, but all of them are designed very rigorously to test various theories about uh, you know how we ought to how we ought to behave what kinds of rules we ought to follow what what it means to say that we're um the same person as we were yesterday which turns out to be very closely related to the issue of sort of good decision making um a lot of his thought experiments are about personal identity um you know it's a very famous uh very famous thought experiment involving a, a transporter where you get you destroyed on earth and exactly reconstituted in on mars and you know the question of whether or not you're the same person um which turns out again to be very important to to, to thinking about um you know when we make decisions about our future selves how much should we care about our future selves how much are they uh, the same as us um anyway very influential philosopher even he looked the part he had a sort of big shock of crazy looking hair but he was extremely rigorous he, uh, you know it was so and and very influential so we but we want to talk about one specific thing he he looked at which was this issue of um so some of the things he looked at were to do with um sort of di- what are called dynamic decision problems so where you have uh, to make decisions which affect you over time so usually decisions where you're looking at a situation right now and you know the effect will be immediate are usually quite straightforward but it, they get much more complicated when you start thinking about um potential uh, future consequences um so in particular give us an example yeah so so he gave he he, he talked about an example which uh, had had also been raised by um uh, Schelling who was a game theorist uh where it being rational which you so rationality in in kind of philosophy and economics terms simply means well it means that you you try and make your beliefs true right so you want to believe true things about the world um and you want to take actions which get you what you want to achieve so you you want to take actions that will deliver the things you want now like that seems like a very uncontroversial claim right so the right thing to do is to do things that will uh deliver what you want so that's that's a claim that says being rational is good right because being rational following the rule that you should always try and do things that get you what get you what you want um is better but he he uh talked about a, a potential counterexample where a robber comes into your house and threatens you threatens that he's going to he's going to murder your family unless you give him the um the the uh um, the keys to the safe. Or something? Well, I was yeah, I was going to say the combination. So, threatens your threatens to murder your family uh, unless you give him the combination to the safe. And obviously, the right thing to do here is to give him the combination to the safe. 
um, that's in the short term what you what you want. You'd rather, and he knows that you're going to respond to that threat because you'd rather lose the money in the safe but keep your family safe. Uh, but Parfitt said, well, wouldn't it be better to have a kind of irrationality potion where you could take the potion and you no longer cared? You know, you, you, you could just sort of say, well, you can threaten me all you like. Uh, I don't really, I'm not going to give you the, the um, combination of the safe. You can go and kill my family. I don't care. And if the robber knows that, then he knows he can't threaten you. He can't rely on your rationality to get what he wants and you end up better off. Yeah, I mean, doesn't something like this happen in, um, actually happen in, um, in, in the natural world where... Um, What's his face talks about it in oh, said, what's his face the famous botanist yeah. <laughs> Sir Nigel what's his face yeah. yeah I think it's Richard Dawkins <laughs> ah, yes, um, quite who possibly. wrote The Selfish Gene right um, and in that I think one of the things he talks about is it's actually quite good to be a balance um, in an animal of something that may or may not attack you don't want to be the kind of animal that will always attack and the one that will never attack you want to be one where no one's ever quite sure what you're going to do I, I'm not sure if I that is exactly bang on yeah so um it turns out that a lot of the tools economists develop to uh, look at uh, human decisions and human interactions uh, can be applied really powerfully to evolution. And um, game, th- game theory has got lots of explanations for apparently weird behavior in the animal world and particularly self-sacrifice. So when animals fight to the death, um, the, the point is that uh, it's, it's better to be the kind of animal who will fight to the death um, even though at the point at which you're going to be threatened, it would be better to run away. Yeah. Um, so, so, and and the reason it'd be better is because other animals won't. We'll therefore, stay away. Yeah. Well, yeah. exactly. So, and that's and game theory kind of proves that that's that there's an optimal equilibrium where you um, sort of sometimes fight to the death and sometimes don't. Um, um, but also, you could maybe there's two different types of rationality here because one where you're purposefully being irrational because you can because it makes sense to run away but actually it's a nice strategy to purposefully be irrational but sometimes you could just be irrational without without reason as it were yeah the the well it's hard you can't actually be deliberately irrational that's that's one of the sort of weird things you can't choose to be irrational um, unless you are somehow completely preventing yourself you have to impose a constraint on yourself um in order to to stop being rational that that's the that's the weird thing you can't choose to be irrational uh, if you could actually at some point choose to stop being irrational because then you would just take the the short-term benefit you know you would mm. you would you would give give the robber the combination so i mean i presume of everything we've, we've been talking about five minutes now of everything I mean, that's a platform because I, I doubt we've said anything there which is groundbreaking. It's more of a summary, right? So um, let's sort of try and develop this a little bit. And Peter, what have you got to say at this point? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not a, I'm an engineer, not much of a philosopher. So I've really got sort of questions for, for Nick to explore right. this a bit more. Um, so presu- presumably um, it changes if you have this, the game with the robber and, and the safe is repeated frequently. Presumably, there's a, a, a more of a, a repeated game changes the nature of the the, the balance. Well, yeah, I mean, so um, one of the one of the biggest uh, challenges, I think, to uh, the, the kind of old con- conventional idea that if we, if we all behaved in our self interest, we'd be better off. You know, the kind of traditional view that follow everyone following their, their self-interest will all gradually push us towards a world where we're all better off right that's kind of um classical economics assumption 
uh, completely undermined by the prisoner's dilemma. I think we've discussed that before, the prisoner's dilemma. Yeah. But it but it's a situation where two people following their self-interest um, make, make they end up all worse off. And there's lo- loads of examples of that. You know, the kind of examples from um, real world uh, stuff like overfishing, where you know it makes each person has an incentive to catch as much fish as they can. can. But if everyone does that, then there's no mm. fish left, and uh, you know, and, and all the fishermen go out of business. Yeah, it's a, that's a that's a tragedy of the commons. Yeah, exactly. Tragedy of the commons is a kind of multiplayer version of of the prisoner's dilemma. So. Um, uh, now, when you put when you when you have a repeated prisoner's di- prisoner's dilemma against against the same player, you you open up other other kinds of uh, solution where you can actually end up cooperating. So mm. again, it, it's one of these things where when you have a dynamic element, when you have repeated games, when you add time to the thing, you end up with lots of other potential solutions. Um, one of which is 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 cooperating, you know, and then basing what you did on what the person did last time. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how that applies to the robber situation. Um, how, how, how does it? So, how, and then uh, another question I have is how does it? How does it apply, if at all, to negotiation practice and theory? So, so assuming that there's some opportunity for dialogue between the robber and and the 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 robbie, is there a is there a is there a because um, the, 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 they're they're majoring on what they're they're they're, they're talking about what they really want. So that you the the the, the but the person being robbed is saying, "Oh, I'm, I don't want my family killed," and the robber is saying, "I want the money in the safe." But if there were, if there was other scope for negotiation, does that does this does that link to this? Yeah, I mean, that's negotiation is where like it's probably the place where real life game theory happens the most. Yeah. So people actually do use Cause, uh, game cause, theory. Because I'm thinking of where in, in, in negotiations you would concentrate on the minutiae of things and not talk about the big issues um, to to. To, to to conflate and confuse your opponent as to yeah, what you Yeah, actually, was that's I mean, and that's one of the findings from from sort of the, a game theory analysis of negotiation is what you should do is pretend to care about the things you don't care about and pretend not to care about the things that you really do care about because um, then you can then you can make a, a, a what in your from your perspective is a very small uh, sacrifice mm. uh, look like a big sacrifice and extract concessions from it. Um, but yeah, I mean, so so negotiation is another classic example where it would be better to seem irrational. Um, there's a, there's other analysis of of uh, kind of games like where you, where you have um, a trade union, for example. So trade union wants to be able to make a sacrifice. It wants it, it, it's saying, look, we're going to actually impose a cost on ourselves to try and gain some kind of uh, advantage in negotiations. Um, they want to seem irrational. They want to look like they would be willing to go on strike, you know, for ages and ages to cost mm. the company lots of money. Um, now, if they're being really rational, they just wouldn't, you mm. know, in some circumstances they wouldn't. And, and you can see that a lot. International negotiations, people want to look like uh, they're being irrational. They want to look like they're going to bullheadedly ask for something. And if they don't get it, you know, they're going to just pull the trigger. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's something that... So, can we turn this to? Um, I mean, something that might be interesting is just apply this to the, the current political, in, international political environment. Um, can we hang this off something? Any current negotiations or any current international issues going on at the moment? Yeah, I, can, uh, I, I think we, we can, can. All probably think of one. <laughs> we can because, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, well, there's obviously there's Brexit where we, we yeah, there's quite a lot of debate, wasn't there, about um, well, why don't we tell everyone what our negotiating stance is you know parliament moaning a bit about wanting to see what the plan was i mean you definitely don't do that and um um things like uh, uh the the you know the eu nationals being in the uk 
um a lot of people you know well-meaning people saying oh we we should take that off the table you know we should just say yes it's fine if they stay here well that's terrible negotiating strategy mm. uh because it's something that we do have control over which the eu will care a lot about so we definitely you know but actually um it's also interesting to think about uh the personality types of um, of leaders like someone like putin or trump um, I think people have drawn an analogy between them by the fact that they are very, they're not utilitarians. They don't, they're not going to sit there and go, hmm, well, the best thing to do here would be to back down. They're, they're very uh, sort of victory driven. They, and they, they, you want to look like you care about winning at all costs hmm. uh, if you're in an international so negotiation. Monopolizing the irrational card. But yeah, the, that's the interesting thing. Well, this reminds me, it makes me think a lot of uh, the two games of poker and chess because um, something like poker is you definitely want people just to go what the hell is this guy doing and you know um, and that's why it can be difficult sometimes playing against a um, a fairly novice uh, poker player because they tend to sort of be overconfident and they tend to go all in too much and you never know is it just because this guy's really got a great hand or are they a total idiot um, and similarly in chess I'm I've when I used to play chess quite a lot I actually never became a particularly good player but I used to find it, and it's quite well documented, you know, playing a quite a new chess player can be quite difficult because they do some very and odd they things. respond in weird yeah. ways. But you there's a fundamental make... difference between those games because chess, you, ha- you have all the information. Yeah. Whereas in poker, there's, there's obscured information. Sort yeah, of, yeah. although, I mean, there is the, the problem that actually in practice you, you don't really in chess because it would be computationally in, in unfeasible to, to, to compute the consequences of any given move. So there is, there is uncertainty there. Um, but different kind of uncertainty. Yeah. But, yeah. but um, and sorry, I'm probably sort of slightly um, taking us off track from my question about the international environment at the moment. So we talked a little bit about Brexit. We talked about Trump and Putin. Uh, Peter, anything you want to bring in at this point? Uh, well, I mean, uh, maybe we maybe we could explore towards uh, uh, what's the optimum strategy. So p- p- is it potentially um, an optimum strategy is to be able to appear to be irrational when it best suits you? So being able to sort of message in the right way that you're irrational, whereas your your actual decision making process is still entirely rational. Yeah, I mean, we you want the, the so I just take it in as <coughs> sorry in a slightly um, engineeringy direction, not necessarily for Peter's direction uh, for Peter's benefit, but because it's interesting. Is I don't know if you know about the Russian perimeter system. Do you? Have you no, but I'd uh, like to. Well, it's a, a system uh, called perimeter, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> Uh, sometimes called the, a dead hand uh, firing system, um, which is designed to look for uh, whether or not there's been a nuclear war. Um, the principle being that if the, all the decision makers in Moscow were knocked out, uh, they would still want to be able to retaliate. Now, this is so. This was this is a similar. Uh, this is actually. Is it like the Doctor Strange love? It's, it's exactly device? yeah. So that and this is actually true. So the Russians did have this system, and I, I'm not sure it's known whether or not it's still uh, active, but. Um, where you know it, they would there would be kind of automatic sensors looking for radiation um you know seismic activity looking for signs of a nuclear war and if they detected it with no humans in the firing chain at all they would just uh, launch a massive retaliation um now that's brilliant from a from a sort of strategic point of view because there's you yeah. you you've completely removed a rational response because you know most people think a rational response to being attacked with nuclear weapons is just to suck it up and go well we've lost you know there's no point in making the world worse by retaliating but what you really want is the opposite of that you want you want to be able to retaliate with 100% yeah. uh uh um 
you know, with a, with a 100% probability, because then the other side won't start a nuclear war at all. Yeah. yeah so up... does it undermine or strengthen the sort of mutually assured destruction balance that you get? Well, the, the downside is that it, what if it goes wrong? <laughs> you yes, have to put yeah. quite a lot of faith in the system not not going wrong. And as we all know from lots of examples throughout sort of nuclear diplomacy, there have been quite a few near misses we don't know how near because you know we saw them when they got stopped mm. um but uh so that that's you know as usual with these real life things you know you the, the all of the kind of game theory does slightly go out the window when you're dealing with real life systems mm. because of the uncertainty about how they'll actually perform where do we go from here that, that, well i do want this is i'm trying to i'm trying to get a piece to talk about uh, systems but particularly like systems where you take human decision making out so at the moment, for example, we have we have drones that um, always have to have a human deciding whether to fire, right? But um, it would be a lot scarier, wouldn't it, if they were uh, designed to fire automatically uh, when they saw certain, you know, examples of um, of, of uh, sort of terrorist type activity or whatever. And I mean, the question of the question of how much you design for humans and you know autonomous vehicles it's the same thing mm. if you if you design autonomous vehicles so that they always swerve when they see a person in the road then people will just blithely wander about in the road won't they in perfect yeah, certainty you, you they won't get, a, get run over you get yeah you get a sort of safety system uh effect where uh, seat belts make people drive faster um more recklessly yeah no well i think i think the it's, it's, it's fair to say that it's going to be the human in the loop where all the mistakes will come from however um they all they they they, they are also the place that has adds in the ability to accommodate new information that's not in this predefined pre-programmed way of working uh that will cause a nuclear fire chain to 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 to, to activate but so it, 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 I suppose it's uh, there's some sort of balance required as to how much risk of um, of getting it wrong when you want it to want something to happen versus it going wrong because the computer is just it, it, computer says fire. Computer says fire. <laughs> computer says yes. Uh, when when you probably didn't want you, there's an additional bit of information that can't be accommodated in that decision. Um, that a human would say the human on the firing chain, perhaps in the submarine, would just not fire because he knows something that the computer can't take account of. Yeah, I mean the UK's policy, if you can call it that, is to not have is to not tell anyone what our policy is when it comes to nuclear retaliation. Um, so we we deliberately maintain this strategic ambiguity uh, right up to the very um, to the very top, really. And that um, the I think one of the things that Peter Hennessy talks about is the first job of any prime minister is to write down orders for the submarine commanders for the nu- nuclear submarines um you know the, the submarines carrying nuclear weapons uh about what to do if if you know the UK gets taken out by a nuclear strike um and so no one knows no one ever looks in those envelopes and they're destroyed um at, at the end of that prime minister's tenure so that- we never I hope that doesn't end up like the 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 moment comes and the submarine commander opens it up and goes la la land. Well, yes, but I think I think well I I think right I may be making this up. I think Harold Wilson said that his his uh, orders were to just sort of go to Australia and find a nice beach somewhere, (laughs) Uh, which is a completely sensible. I mean, you want what you want is for the Russians to think that you've written down you know massive retaliation against against Moscow, Uh, but actually um, actually when the push comes to the shove, you you don't want that to be the case because that Mm. would just make things worse. You know, Um, Peter. I mean, we've still got a few minutes left, but. Anything to say before I wrap up? At some <laughs> no, point? no, no. Well, one thing, one thing. <laughs> uh, just, to, just, to sort of, just to 
try to explore perhaps more comedically this example. So is there, the, the, you, you, you've, you've got this option of taking this potion to make you genuinely irrational. Is there not a danger then that you, the robber might be able to convince you to open the safe anyway? Yeah, I mean, actually, what, you, what it's really about is stopping yourself being able to take actions. You, I mean, being unconscious would be perfectly good. Taking a... Taking a taking a potion that just knocked you out for two hours would be just as good mm. it's really about cutting off your ability to take options uh and, and i mean that's that's the that's the paradox really is that sometimes it's better to stop yourself being able to have a choice right which yeah. is which is um you know counterintuitive because you think well actually that surely being uh, taking the optimal um the optimal option uh, every point in time is going to be better uh, but at the point about this example and one of the things that Parfit talked about a lot was that yeah. sometimes it isn't uh, that really uh, throws a spanner in the works actually when we when we think about how we ought to behave it makes it makes the world much more confusing and more interesting and more difficult to manage mm. um, yeah. but I mean it does but does it does that mind does that um, thought experiment also ex- assume that uh, the, the the robber has some put some sort of value on human life that he won't kill you just out of revenge or annoyance because you've 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 swung the game in your favour. Um, yeah, I think the assumption is that the robber would sort of very slightly prefer not to have to be a murderer as well. Yeah. Uh, okay. But the point is that if you're being rational, he doesn't have to be. He doesn't have to have to be a murderer because you're going to open the safe. Right. Yeah. Okay. Understood. So yeah, but actually, so actually, that's interesting because that requires the robber to be rational, right? And I'm just wondering what happens if you get two rational... Get an irrational robber and an yeah. irrational robbie. Yeah. Nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Total utter breakdown of everything we hold dear. Maybe, maybe the robber ends up walking away with the kids and... Uh, yeah, and lives guy, happily ever the, after. The, the, the other guy locks himself in the safe yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah, that's probably, what, that's probably what the outcome would be. Yeah. Very briefly, slightly off topic... Um, what do you think are the largest irrationalities that you have in your day-to-day lives? Because I know, I mean, one of mine uh, is probably, I mean, there, I mean, I started to try and think of one, and I realised there are many, but um, one of them was probably uh, smoking. Of you know, of and it goes back to what we were saying with. I always want to say Rick Parfit, but um, with with Derek Parfit, Rick Parfit for anyone who doesn't know, who was 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 or is one of the lead guitarists of 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 the uh, amazing. He, didn't he die recently? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I get confused between the two. But of, of the, the legendary twins. rock yeah. band, heavy metal <laughs> rock band status quo. But anyway, um, yeah, and it ties in one of his his things about. I think what we were saying about identity and future selves is that I used to it used to annoy me when I smoked because I knew that it was such a bad thing for me and it made me question right, how much do I care about my future yeah, self? Yeah, well, I mean that's that's a good example where which is the real Fraser, right? Is it smoking Fraser or Fraser who wants to give up smoking? And the whole point about trying, you know, doing using tricks like um, throwing away your cigarettes or um, you know or or taking uh, even just just taking nicotine patches or or even telling people, you know, I'm going to give up smoking um, are all ways of constraining your future self because mm. future Fraser gasping for a fag uh, he's a different person he's got different goals and you, your goals right now might be to give up smoking and you've got you're playing a ga- game against future Fraser whose goals are to carry on smoking and you basically you're playing this game against yourself mm. and you want to win so you're going to make make life hard for future Fraser mm. of course future Fraser is going to is going to be really annoyed with past Fraser because he wants a fag and he may well try and rig things so that when regretful Fraser turns up again, uh, you know, he, he won't be able to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're, um, 
it, it is something that crops up all the time. It's a yeah. very, very common uh, situation. And there, but, in but some in, some places, there are kind of there are external systems to help you impose those constraints. So a pension scheme is a way of locking money away that you would otherwise, you know, you might otherwise spend at the end of the month. Mm. Um, that you, because you, you know, when you sign up to a pension scheme, it's a good idea. Because so past you has made this decision for future you to stop you from spending all your money. Yeah. But I think my, I, I'm in terms of the things that we've been talking about. I'm, a, I am a royal grudge merchant. I do bear, I bear grudges for years. Oh God. There are particular, there are, there are certain teachers that I will, I'm <laughs> still out to get somehow, and when the chance comes, I will. Um, you know, so I, I mean, that's that's completely irrational. Some, sometimes, uh, you know, people who just perhaps slight you on the tube. The, the, a couple of weeks ago, a bloke barged past me on the bus instead of saying excuse me. I, I'd happily, you know, kill that guy. Uh, it's so kind of, um, you know, annoying. Uh, and that's that's the kind of, uh, yeah. you know, reptilian brain uh, rational irrationality, which which means that, you know, people don't mess with me. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't know that when they're on the bus. Sure. But, uh, no, he won't make that mistake You need again. to paint yourself like <laughs> yellow and black or something so people know to stay away. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah exactly. Peter? Well, I suppose... Uh, I, I mean, I like wearing nice leather shoes, and off and off will off go out wearing a shirt. And I know it That's doesn't really mad. I know it really doesn't matter <laughs> what I look like. I could go out in trainers and jogging pants, and it wouldn't matter what I looked like, by and large. But I kind of like to feel like maybe some people think I look smart. Even though that doesn't matter at all. It sounds like that's a rational response to other people's irrational uh, desire to make other people wear nice shoes. I yeah. think I think you know ties. We've talked about ties a lot, yeah. but uh, I think you should start with a haircut then. If you're gonna, don't worry about the shoes and. Would uh... <laughs> <laughs> mean I had a haircut two weeks ago? This is this is short. But it's funny actually. I've been thinking about doing something similar to what you've said, which is I spend most of my time working from home and I just slob around in any old rubbish. And I just, I'd like, I like the thought of my children as they're growing up and, and actually once they're grown up thinking back to this, uh, to their father going, oh yes, he was always so smartly dressed in a nice jacket and a shirt. Always wore a waistcoat at home. Right. Yeah. 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 And I think I need to start doing this because, um, and also for my own sense of self-worth and, uh, and belief in what I am that I need to be starting to doing that. I don't know if that's rational or irrational, but, um, but all I would say is I don't want to end up uh, being regretful Fraser, which I quite like that characterization. Um, we're going to have to stop there. Um, so gentlemen, I enjoyed that. Um, Thank you, as always, to Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights. You've been listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. Thank you. And until next time, bye-bye. And thank you to Derek Parfit for his excellent works. And thank you to Derek Parfit, um, rocking all over the world. Mm-hmm.